All right, everybody, what's up? We're back here with another episode of Talent in the Raw. Um, I got a really special person up here with me today. And usually before I I start talking, I always introduce how we met. You know what I mean? And um, I was probably like six, huh? I was really young. I was probably like five or six. Yeah, somewhere around Super there. young. And um, by that time, Lethal was already doing Taekwondo. But then I got introduced to it. And... Um, my dad, I, I I don't know exactly who knew you. Like, I don't know if my dad knew you first or if Lethu's old teacher, Lenu, knew you. But anyway, my dad was like, there's a teacher. He's really good. Yeah, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go. So me and Lethu went. And um, it was probably, I think it was only like three people in that class, three or four people in that class in like really early days. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I fell in love with Taekwondo. You... Manny and Tomas yeah. were were kind of the starters for that. Um, Manny and Tomas probably made me cry the most. They used to <laughs> work me, dude. Tomas used to work me with the cardio. Manny was just hard. And you were right in the middle. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, no further introduction. We got my techno teacher here with me, Mr. Rosa, man. How you doing, man? Well, man, I'm doing well. That's thank you good. very much for the opportunity. Ah, to thank chat. you for coming mm-hmm. up here, man. This is, this is a really important episode for me, not even going to lie. But before I even start asking questions or um, we start talking, I just want to give you your flowers before we even start. I don't think you understand how many um, kids you've even helped, like, especially now that I'm older. Like, I never understood, like, why is these classes so late? You know what I mean? Like, we would, my class wouldn't start till seven, but you'll ask me to be there at 5.30, five, you know what I mean? I'm like, why so early? But now it's like, now that I'm older and I'm pretty sure the other kids can say this too, it's like, I feel like you were trying to help us stay off the streets. You know what I mean? Trying to, especially at those later times, seven, eight, nine, knowing that it gets dark around four, around like October, November you would always try to keep us in class, you know what I mean? And I and and now that I'm older, I really appreciate that, you feel me? And you was always trying to make sure we was we was on our P's and Q's. But um yeah, definitely appreciate that dude. But how are you right now, man? How's everything moving for you? I'm doing okay. I mean I you know, just uh taking care of the family and for doing sure. what it is that I need to do, you know. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Now um I'm gonna just get right into it, man. What made you jump into Taekwondo? <clears throat> That's the one question I've had yeah. since since I since I started doing Taekwondo. Like, why did you do Taekwondo? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, um, like when I started Taekwondo, I already had a black belt in karate. Mm. So I started karate when I was probably around twelve. Mm-hmm. It was right when we had moved here from Kiford. Mm-hmm. Basically, my dad, um, you know, he knew that he had to find some way to keep me straight and as it happens you know he picked karate you know because he thought it would help me develop discipline and self-control and all that and uh turns out it was a great move um so by the time i started taekwondo i already had had a black belt in karate but i went to a competition um once in boston Mm -hmm. And I saw someone competing and I just looked at the level of technique that this guy had. Uh, it turns out now that we're really good friends, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I saw his level of technique and I said, you know what, 
I need to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, subsequently, I ended up meeting his instructor. Um, I went down to Boston, met his instructor, and you know he, he was the kind of person that would motivate you, you know. So um, I eventually turned into turned to Taekwondo. Stayed in Taekwondo ever since. Mm-hmm. So from the time I was twelve till I'd say around two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did martial arts continuously, like uh, between, you know, uh, competition and just training, outright training. I mean, Mm -hmm. really, really hard. My instructor was known as someone who really pushed people to their limits. We had people that came from other schools all over New England. Mm -hmm. They would come to train with us. So when you think about it at that time, the organization that led... um, like martial arts ratings in this region was called PKL. Mm-hmm. But in, P, in the region 12, which was this region, yeah. actually had the best competitors in the country. So if you were competing in this region, mm-hmm. you could be sure that you were like in the top tier. Yeah. You know, And if you got to be like the top three or so, then you knew that, you know, nice. where you stood nationally. Yeah. So I began mm-hmm. training my instructor and for him, uh, Master Pina, Grand Master Pina. I mean, mm. his uh, competition was a huge focus of his. Yeah. Uh, and I think for the same reason that it became a huge focus for me as an instructor, uh, because we saw it, I think we both saw it as kind of a vehicle that would, you know, keep students engaged and focused on yeah. martial arts and not on other things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started uh, training with him. Uh, I remember he would come down to Brockton to train us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember this one day in particular, just to show you the kind of training that he did. Um, he started with just myself and my brother. Mm-hmm. He trained just us mm-hmm. at uh, the old boys and girls club. Um, and one day he came, he trained us so hard. Um, when he left, he walked out the door and I dropped. <laughs> <laughs> right and i dropped you know um but i remember like uh and when i was old i was like going to school at umass boston mm-hmm. and i'd get out of umass around two o'clock or so right uh i'd go straight down to his school which at the time was in dorchester um bird street so i would go to train i'd start training at two something until um five something six o'clock yeah and then he would come in uh and he would say okay well because you know one of the bigger things in terms of my competition was weapons Mm -hmm. because it's something that i was just naturally good at Mm -hmm. and so he cultivated that and um so he'd come in around six o'clock and then he would say well let me see that form a couple of times before we start class so i'd show him the form but for him like if you were going to do a form, it had to be full blast. Yeah. I mean, with all the, um, the like all of the energy, yeah. all of the focus, you know. So he'd want to see it a few times, and then after that, I'd have to take class. Right, oh my class was like a killer, you know. 
And then after class, before I left, he'd say, okay, let me see it just one last time before you go. But, you know, with him, it was kind of like with me. You know? was, he says, now that I'm hearing you say it, I'm like, this all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so if he says one last time, yeah. it means I have to show it to him like you. Yo, I remember as a kid, like we'll do forms like, and um, this is also something that I really appreciated, just that you would always um, have like the times for everything. Like yeah. a month before the test, we're doing nothing but forms, all yeah. class. We're making sure everything's straight. But those first two months, like we're we're fighting, we're um, doing more packing, having more open classes. But a month before, yeah. forms. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember we used to do forms. Oh my god, we used to do forms yeah. all the time, and it was always hot outside. Mm-hmm. And um, you'd be like, "All right, guys, one more time." Yeah. And, and then you guys be like, "You know what, guys, do OJ again, and then come back and do." And yeah. me and the kids in class are like, yo, are you serious right now? <laughs> we were like, yo, this is so annoying. But, you know, it can phase off, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah, that all makes sense but, You know, like when you're an instructor, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't want to jump out of the no, order for whatever questions you're asking. Yeah. The thing is, when you're an instructor, right, um, at least for me, I always had this idea that, you know, perfection um was unattainable right mm-hmm. but the thing is you could move as close to perfection as you could mm. and the only way to do that right is to raise the standards so high mm-hmm. um and make everyone reach up to the standards yeah now i always also understood that not everybody you know has the same um you know not everybody has the same skill level yeah. you know not everybody's high is the same but if you raise a standard so high that everyone has to reach up to meet it, then everybody's going to get better, mm. you know? And I always really operated the school from that philosophy. Yeah. I was never like one of those um, instructors that would say, okay, well, I'm going to drop the intensity of the curriculum mm-hmm. or the intensity of training so that some people can make it. No, mm-hmm. everybody's going to reach, valid. you know what I mean? Super so. valid. And I mean, and that's what really produced the school that we had. I mean, yeah. when you came into the school, you got to remember, like, um, I had, like, throughout the 90s, for example, we had students competing all over. Yeah. Like, we had the old school. We yeah. had Eric DeCanto. We had Freds and Gomes. We had Miguel Fidalgo, Emildo yeah. Milker, Emmanuel Barros. Yeah. You know, we had... Um, Ronald Keith, we had Nelson Fernandez, Carlos Lapina. I mean, all Hello, of these. Okay, yeah. And it's funny because one of the my old colleagues, one of the old black belts from my my instructor school, once I remember once he came into the school to the testing, and he, when he saw the kids mm-hmm. training, he turns to me after class, he's like, "You guys are building ninjas." <laughs> you know? And we all started laughing, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, you could. Like you could really see differences in quality between the way that you guys came up and the way that you all trained and the way that other students trained. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, I guess every school uh, trains according to the way that the instructors is fit. Mm-hmm. For us, it was always difficult because we had so much talent and so kids worked so too. hard. And we had a lot of kids too. To, yeah. And, yeah. And, the kids worked so hard, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so it was always about, you know, reaching the greatest high. Mm-hmm. Because of that, everybody came up. 
you know, so you had a class of students that was really in our minds and in the minds of a lot of people, like just unparalleled in this area. Yeah. Like not you, only that, but we were competitive within each other. Like <laughs> well, that's what we I were mean. Super competitive. Like yeah. before we were even competitive in tournaments. Like I feel like yeah. before I could really beat someone in a tournament, I gotta beat like a, like a Jose or something. Yeah, I gotta be yeah. like a tier of Danny. So it's like. Yeah. That's kind of where that all started. And I'm so happy we were like that because I see these schools now, man. I'm like, you guys are. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, everybody um, works in accordance with your own school. One of my old students, you know, God rest his soul, Casper used to say that, you know, a belt is a symbol of progression within a particular school. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so if you earn the black belt with us, you earned it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It it's never like, just, it's never a handout. It was it's not never handed handout. out to you and everybody understood and everybody yeah. understands that you put in the work for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an easy pass. Um, you know, and when I look at a lot of schools that I see now, uh, I see that a lot, you know, uh, in terms of technique itself, the there was kind of a downgrading of quality mm-hmm. right um and the the what's most sad in my view is that a lot of the downgrading of quality um had to do in a certain sense with competition mm-hmm. but it had to do with competition in the sense that you know um uh, because promoters were trying to make as much money as they could what they did is they they uh, split up a lot of the divisions, for example, mm-hmm. right? So then you would not get the same level of competition in, in a division. Really? So it allowed the promoters to make more money, but it, by the same token, it kind of dropped the quality, yeah. right? Um, and of course, instructors, you know, felt pressure to compete in that, mm-hmm. that model. Um, so what happens is a lot of quality drops. So you can walk into a school today and you can see a black belt throw a sidekick and like you're kind of question shocked. It. Question I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> you're really shocked that at the level of technique. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, both instructors and promoters were partly responsible for that, for their drop in quality. For right? sure. And I just couldn't, I could never teach like that. Yeah. I could never work like that because it just, it just would not sit well with me. It's not the, the background that I'm from. You know? Yeah, that makes total sense. <clears throat> now. Now, when did you know that you were actually like going to open up your own school? And like, what were the difficulties of that? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, well, the school, we knew that, and this is kind of like part of probably a bigger conversation, but um, so my instructor actually opened up the school in Brockton mm-hmm. uh, in we were myself and my brother uh my little cousin my sister-in-law we were like his first few students yeah um and it was always with the understanding that we were going to take over that school mm-hmm. you know because uh at the time i didn't really think about it like that it, it was just about working as hard as i could to get my black belt and once i got my black belt and i started working with students um and I started liking to work with the students. But once I got to work really with the community, um, it's a strange thing because um, 
I've kind of always felt that in, I mean, I, I don't want to take this conversation in Go a ahead. way that's going to be problematic, but the thing is I've always felt that um, what I did with the martial arts, with the school, particularly in that city, the city of Brockton, right, was something that I was called on to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, sure. I, I always had that feeling. In fact, you know, every inevitably you'd have something happen to one student or something happen in the community. And as an instructor, I, I kind of always blamed myself a mm. lot of times, you know, because I said, you know what? I wasn't able to reach this kid. Mm. Or if I worked with him better, this kid would not have be in that, that situation. Yeah. Or, you know, if I were able to work with every kid, you know, no kid would be, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so sure. I always felt like it was some kind of... Um, like I had a responsibility to do something, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and basically, me and my brother, we used the martial arts for that, you yeah. know. Um, the school was never, and when I tell you never, I mean it was never. I mean it was never about making money. Mm-hmm. Now, so much so that I'm going to tell you. Um, so I had a profession, mm-hmm. right? That my, you know, my professional profession, and then I had the school. But there were plenty of times that I remember, right, that I had to take money from my profession Mm -hmm. to pay the rent of the school because if I didn't do that, the kids wouldn't have a place to practice. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Um, And it was always a struggle. I mean, in terms of challenges that you're talking about, it was always a struggle in terms of uh, paying the rent, for example. Mm -hmm. Because you have plenty of students, but sometimes parents can't pay. Yeah. Now, if a parent can't pay... But I am working with the student, and the student is doing well, and I can see that the school is having a positive impact on the student. I can't stop the student from training because the parent can't pay. Mm. I have to figure out other ways. Yeah. So what happens is a lot of people trained, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, that that um, either couldn't pay or I wouldn't even, I mean, I'd have a tough time keeping track yeah. because it was just me. Um, you know, there was a period of time, for example, that my brother was away mm-hmm. and I was running the school by myself and I couldn't in between classes is when he take payments from parents and stuff. And I hated dealing with that aspect of the school. Mm-hmm. It's the one aspect of the school that I hated dealing with financial stuff. You yeah. Know? I would just rather be in the dojo and working with the students nice. you know, and making everybody better. So to answer your question, I mean, I know kind of early, but probably my sense of the importance of me teaching mm-hmm. grew. Like, as I became more mature, I began to understand it better. For sure. You know, so. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, let's kind of track back to, like, your early days. Like, what were you like as a kid? As a because, kid? Because oh, wow. I've, cause I've known you my whole life, but it's like, I've only known you as an adult. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, I'd be thinking, I'm like, they're, 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 um, there has to be a reason on why he's so noble. You know no, what I, mean? I mean, I don't know about nobility, but, I, you know, as a kid, um, you know, when I came to the U.S., I had a really, really difficult time adjusting mm-hmm. um, socially, culturally, educationally. I mean, I I was a really smart kid. Yeah. I, I actually, I got really good grades back in my home country. And then when I came here, I had a really tough time adjusting. Yeah. Now, um, today... You know, after having gotten my PhD in education, yeah. I can understand that retrospectively. 
Mm-hmm. You know, back then I didn't understand why mm-hmm. I was having such a difficult time. But I had a tough time adjusting education. Now, mind you, I never, as a student, for example, and now I'm going back to middle school and high school, yeah. as a student, I never gave teachers a hard time. Mm-hmm. Never disrespected. I think I, I I may have skipped a class once. Really? Right, once in high school. Mm-hmm. Um. And I remember it being embarrassing me having to explain to the teacher the next day, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the, uh, as a student, I never, I never really gave teachers a hard time. Yeah. But I also never, um, I could never connect with the material that they were trying to teach me in schools. Yeah. Right. And I could see a lot of contradictions, like mm-hmm. a lot of racist behavior. You yeah. know what I'm saying that that. You know, inside of my head, I was thinking, well, teachers are not supposed to do that. But I could see this teacher doing that. So I'm like, uh, I could see a lot of contradictions. So I never gravitated to schooling. Mm -hmm. Um, As I got older, um, when I left high school, basically, um, I connected with uh, a teacher. Ironically, like the teacher had nothing, like we we really had nothing in common Mm -hmm. other than to say that you know, maybe she understood my struggle because she was a female, right? In in the kind of a society that a patriarchal society that males have more yeah. power and all of that. So maybe she could understand my plight that way. But other than that, I really had no connection with this lady. I mean, she was a, a white lady, an Italian lady, you know, middle-aged woman and mm-hmm. all that. And I was a young kid, uh, but she was able to kind of connect me with the power of education mm-hmm. right she she was able to show me the whole purpose of education yeah. you know she did this in a class on sociology i remember that was the year that i actually uh, i boycotted reebok like i wouldn't wear anything reebok mm-hmm. because of what was going on in south africa reebok <clears throat> had factories in south africa yeah. so i wanted to protest so i wouldn't wear anything reebok that's when I really started connecting education yeah. with, you know, what education is supposed to be for, mm-hmm. you know, which is like human growth, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, uh, after that, once I understood that, I kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, then I started going to the dean's list and yeah. this and this and this and that, because I began to understand that this thing is a lot bigger than I am, mm-hmm. you know, as a person. Yeah. But as a kid, I, I really didn't... Um, I didn't stray too much. Now, mind you, I, I grew I grew up in an environment where there were a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Like the street that I lived in in the city of Brockton was a street called uh, Temple Street, mm-hmm. and there was a bar at the end of the street. Yeah, now, that bar every summer there was some shooting, there was some killing, yeah. or something like that, right? But I had to walk past that school mm. to go to my karate school, the yeah. first school that I started training in. Yeah, I had to walk past that every single day Mm -hmm. now my parents at the time didn't think about you know the danger of that right um but i had to walk past that every day to cross that go into rnf and go into the school Mm -hmm. and all of that um and i think like growing up in that environment there was a lot of opportunity for me to stray from what i was doing you know but you know thank god i was i just like stay focused on what i was doing and Mm -hmm. just um one of my students once said that, you know, um, Taekwondo is not 
something I do. It's who I am. Mm. You know what I mean? For sure. So martial arts is not, I don't feel like martial arts is something I do. It's more like who I am as a person. For sure. (laughs) Now, speaking on education, you were really big with us, the school, (laughs) you know? And um, I think I said this in my last episode because my birthday is in November. The first term would always close around my birthday. (laughs) And I hated it. (laughs) I hated it so much. Because it's like, um, because I was never a good kid in school. Like, I I just never, like, really, like, it never pulled me in. And I remember, like, yo, my birthday's coming up. But the report cards get sent out, like, three days before. And I already know Sabin's tapped in with every school in here. You know what I mean? Every school in the city. So what really made you like, what made you want your students to be just as good students in the class Mm -hmm. as we are in the school, in the Taekwondo school? Yeah. Well, the thing is, look, I understood that the system was really unfair, Mm -hmm. right? I understood that the system was really unfair. I'll give you an example. I had a student that once uh, was going to be expelled. Mm -hmm. He was going to be expelled because there was some issue in the playground and a teacher wrote up a report mm-hmm. on him. Uh, so the student was going to be expelled. Now, as it happens, you know, when you talk about being connected in the schools, right? Yeah. So um, I had a, a, a colleague, a friend, <clears throat> who was a guidance counselor, who knew that this thing was going to happen, Yeah. called me ahead of time, gave me kind of a heads up. Yeah. So... Uh, at the time, I was doing a lot of intervention on behalf of my students. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times, I would go meet with the teachers instead of the parents. Mm-hmm. Because the parents couldn't speak the language. They, yeah. they didn't understand the system, and yeah. I did. So I'd have the parents sign a release for me. Um, and I went to go talk about this particular episode. Now, it turns out that the teacher that wrote that report, yeah. the teacher wasn't even present. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So he, the kid was going to get expelled. Because of something that the teacher wrote, but the teacher was not present when the thing was written. Valid. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. So I knew that the system was really, really unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the same token, I also knew that um, you know martial arts was about you know making you better as a person, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and as a person, you have to understand the world. Valid. Right. So. Even if the system itself is unfair, mm-hmm. right, you have to do your absolute best. And if that means that you have to do three times better than everybody else, well, then that's what you're going to have to do. Um, I'm going to push you in that direction, mm-hmm. even while like I contest the stuff that the system is doing or yeah. people inside of the system is doing, like this mm-hmm. kid right here. Like Jose, for example, Jose is another example, right? Yeah. So Jose had issues in a particular school. Um, same same kind of a deal, right? The teacher writes this report, um, and then I intervened on behalf of Jose's father, mm-hmm. and the teacher told me, well, you know, he is a very friendly kid. He's mild-mannered, this, 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 and that. And I turned around to her, and I said, well, look at this report. This language doesn't reflect what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that Jose is mild-mannered, he's well-behaved, yeah. this, is that. This report doesn't say that. She turns to me. She says, well, that's just how we write it. (laughs) Wow. What do you mean that's how you write it? You know, this is part of this kid's record, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
so I mean, I I understood that I understood that the system was unfair, but mm-hmm. by the same token, it was important uh, mm-hmm. for you guys to get an education. So, it, you know, I mean, I I couldn't give you another school, mm-hmm. um, so you had to attend those schools. So uh, the only the only option was to try and push as much of that as we could, and we tried. You know, yeah. in some cases you succeeded, in other cases. But again, I mean, the, the growth is individual in nature, mm-hmm. right? So if I look back right now and I see what you're doing, what your brother's doing, what Nelson Fernandez is doing, what Fretzen is doing, what Stanley Dominique is doing, yeah. what, what Peter the Silva is doing, mm-hmm. like Jose Andrade, right? He's got his own shop. Tomas yeah. has got his own, you know, everybody's got their own thing that they're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like, you know the school can't take credit for that yeah the school can't take credit for that because you guys did what you needed to do for yourselves mm-hmm. but the school was part of that journey yeah no for sure you know what i mean for sure. and um i think i think it was important that we push that that we stress that yeah so. i feel like most things that um especially i feel like most things that we're doing outside of taekwondo well as as far as for me like i can speak for myself is just like it started at taekwondo because um, I was only passionate about Taekwondo. Like, nothing yeah. ever pulled me in the way Taekwondo pulled me in. So it's like, even doing this podcast, is like, seeing how I'm so, con- like, I'm on top of it, I'm so consistent. That all started with Taekwondo. Like, I never, I never really, I don't want to say cared, but I, I never really cared about anything else the way I cared about Taekwondo. Like, I used to cry the day that I couldn't go to Taekwondo. Like yeah. my mom, like she'll say no, like on a normal Wednesday. She's like, no, not today. Yeah. And dude, I'm bawling my eyes out in the room. You know what I mean? And it's like, because it's like Taekwondo is the only thing that I ever cared yeah. about. So I feel like the way that you um, try to like put that consistency in us, I feel like we just carry that on with everything else that we do afterwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in some way, I feel like we can kind of give credit to the school and 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 yourself as well so um definitely well, that. i mean I, I think that like when i look at um what a lot of the students ended up doing um you know taekwondo the the idea of kicking and punching you know um okay so i'm going to teach you kicking and punching because i want to work with you and being better <laughs> Yeah. Right. I'm going to work with you with kicking and punching because um, I want I want to be able to work with you at being better in life. Yeah. So I'll use Taekwondo to teach you, mm-hmm. you know, um, and a lot of the, the stuff that we did was really, uh, I think, in, in many ways about modeling, even mm-hmm. in times that. Um, like I use this example sometimes with my children, you know, when I left to go to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. that I had that kind of a break of four years because I was in Wisconsin. Um, you know, for four years, I slept on a mattress on the floor mm-hmm. with books around me. Mm-hmm. That's all I had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, you know, I left here to go to Wisconsin to go get my doctorate. Um, and I knew nobody in Wisconsin. I mean, I had no connections. Mm-hmm. 
Now think about somebody who grew up here, had all sorts of connections that I could get anything I wanted, mm -hmm. connected to the school system, like had all of these social connections. I cut all of that out to go to Wisconsin to do something that I knew that in the end was going to help more. Yeah. It's kind of a sacrifice, you know what I mean? Major. Um, the same thing with the students in the school. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at what the students are doing now, yeah. Um, my sense is that that same, you know, uh, tenacity that they had in terms of training, say, no, we're going to do this thing one more time. No, we're going to do it one more time. Yeah. No, just let me see it one more time. And <laughs> over and over and over yeah. and over. I mean, that's the same kind of drive yeah. that you have to have if you're running a business like Zen Miguel is, yeah. right? Or like Fredson is, or if you're trying to make a movie like Peter Da Silva is, or if you're doing the stuff that you're doing or the Stanley Dominique is doing, mm -hmm. or the Barrows Brothers that have a construction company yeah. now. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, a, it's that drive that yeah. you need, right? For now, sure. if you're going to learn it through kicking and punching, fine. Then, then let's learn it through kicking and punching, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but it's important. That stuff was really, really important to me, you know? Awesome. Definitely. Now you mentioned your kids earlier. Um, oh, they're all great martial artists. But is that something that you knew that you would want to do? Is like trying to like um, with introduce, my children. Yeah, like introduce to Taekwondo to them. Yeah. Well, I I did that for a particular reason. Mm -hmm. So my oldest son, Kyle, grew up in Florida. Mm -hmm. So when he was two, his mom moved to Florida. Yeah. And um, you know, so he grew up in Florida. Now, when the other kids came along, um, what I did was I tried to figure out a way to keep them together and united mm. and around the same um, values, like mm. kids that had the same <clears throat> values that I wanted them to develop. Yeah. So I put them all training, right? Because in training, mm -hmm. what they did is they ended up growing up with you, yeah. with Danny, with Jose, yeah. with Lito, with like, um, you know, and it's just not just me, mm -hmm. like trying to teach them these things, but it's them seeing it in you, in yeah. Lito, in, in Jose, sure. and, yeah. and Danny, and everyone. So um, it was important to me, you know. It was kind of a strategy that I used, yeah. and it worked well. I mean, Karina's a black belt, Havana's a black belt, um, Jair was almost a black belt. I mean, he stopped right before going black belt, but mm -hmm. um, but it worked well in the sense that all of you are in some sense connected today. For like sure. Havana got together with Lito over there mm -hmm. in Seattle to yeah. go look at schools and stuff, you know. It's the, it, these connections. You have these connections for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like our, like, s second family in a way. Yeah, exactly. For sure. <clears throat> that's kind of, like, that's kind of how I see it. Like, no matter yeah. what, like, if I was to ever train somewhere else, I'd be like, like, it just won't be the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's always, like, I know who I train with. Like, yeah. I've been training with these with these dudes since I was seven years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it will just never, <clears throat> it'll never change. Yeah. But, um, so... You've been retired for for that like three <laughs> well, three and a half know. years now or so. Yeah, I don't know if, if it's like <laughs> if retired is the right word. You know but you kind of just take. Do you think it's more of taking a break? Well, yeah, because um, see what happened is like <clears throat> the last phase of the school. Yeah. Uh, what was happening is that I so 
I was living in New Bedford. Yeah. Because I bought a house in New Bedford, and then I have to drive forty five minutes. Um, you know, I'd like I drove to work, got out of work, then I'd go in Bridgewater, then I'd go teach in Brockton. And then I would teach and then I'd get out of class at nine. And then by the time I got home in the evening, it was ten o'clock. Well, yeah. but ten o'clock, everybody's sleeping. sleeping. Yeah. All the kids are sleeping. Right. Um, and then, you know, it got to a point where um because I was doing that every single day, like um my wife was kind of carrying the brunt of everything in the family, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh I had to kind of think a little bit about fairness in that, you know. Mm-hmm. What I mean? So I said, Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop for a little bit, you know, while the kids are small, you know, to help out. Yeah. And once the kids get a little bit older, that things are kind of settled in and then we'll see what happens. But I don't, you know, there's not a week that goes by that I don't think about opening up a school or working <laughs> with a student. You know? So my not sense sure. is that at some point that's going to happen again. For you know? sure. But, you know, um, and, I, you know, I'm at a stage right now that, I would say probably within the next couple of years, mm-hmm. I mean, something's going to work. For sure. So, For sure. Now, do you think yeah. you'll kind of introduce <clears throat> the idea of martial arts to the kids the way that you deal with your older kids? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't picture teaching any other way. Right? Mm. I can't picture. I see what a lot of colleagues that I had, I mean, people that I came up with, um, I see what they do with their schools yeah and how they run their schools and it's okay if it works for them you know Mm -hmm. um they they make for example i'll give you an example they do curricular changes because Mm -hmm. this technique is hard for students to do or something like that like i can't teach like that yeah you know um and some people will say well you know your your uh you know for somebody who has a phd in education to say well i can't teach like that um, it's not because like physically you can't do it. It's just mm-hmm. because I won't do it because I just don't think it's right. Yeah. You know I, mean? I don't For think sure. it's right. So I can't teach like that. So if I open up another school now, the all likelihood is that I'd be teaching the same way. Really? Right. For sure. Uh, now teaching is kind of a, it's a journey, you know what I mean? So today, I know how to do things better than I knew how to do 15 years ago, mm-hmm. right? But that doesn't mean I have to drop the quality. Yeah, you know, I'm still gonna, you know, demand excellence. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, everybody's gonna have to reach for that. For sure. <laughs> so, when I was uh, coming up, um, <clears throat> there was like a lot of talent in the school. Yeah, and probably all classes, from the from the the kids. Yeah. To the six o'clock class, to obviously the adult class. Mm-hmm. When it came to fighting, mm-hmm. we were super competitive. <laughs> I still am to this day. Like that ain't gonna stop nothing. You know what yeah. I mean? Who, who was your favorite person to fight? And actually, we'll do this in all, in all, um, in all East Coast generations. So when you were. When Coming you, up in your twenties, teens, yeah. like late teens and twenties, who was your uh, favorite person to fight at that time? And then when you started to teach, who was your favorite person to fight? And then your later years, when? Well, okay, so when you say favorite person to fight, yes, you mean as an opponent? Yeah, or like, like, like as an opponent, you know, like in the class, because it's like 
I could I, I could answer that question with probably like three or four people just because I know like it'll be a good fight. They'll they'll make me work and it'll and they'll oh, probably yeah, give yeah. me a hard time. I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? No, I mean look, I had look, there was no shortage of talent of fighters, man. <laughs> yeah. I, and it was when I tell you it was extreme. Um, it was hard to imagine that a school could contain so much talent. Right. right? Yeah. Um, but when I say talent, I have to qualify that because, you know, the skill set that the students had, they worked for. Mm-hmm. Right. It's true. You can say, well, this person is just kind of like naturally talented, yeah. but there's not one person, even in those that you say, okay, they're naturally talented, they didn't work for what they had. Valid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because inevitably, you know, if you're in a class that has Eric DeCanto, Fred and Gomes, Carlos Pina, <laughs> Alberto Ruiz, <laughs> right? Um, I don't care how much talent you have. I mean, you have to work. Yeah. There's no way of getting around mm-hmm. it, right? So uh, we had fighters that had like different types of characteristics. Right? Yeah. So, for example, um, Alberto Ruiz, again, God rest his soul. I mean, Alberto uh, was so mild mannered as a person, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, so, so just like a generally good human being, yeah. you know, um, in the ring, um, you know, he was the kind of fighter that he would give you about 20 seconds to throw whatever you wanted at him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for those 20 seconds, he'd react. Mm-hmm. And then after that, anything that you threw at him, he would carry. Wow. I mean, he was, it was like you're fighting like some kind of a 21st century robot or something. You know? yeah. um, anything that you threw at him, he would counter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just amazing. I mean, the, to watch him fighting was just amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember <laughs> I would get very mad at Alberto because... Um, when he was competing, when he was coming up, um, the tournament circuit had, you know, we did three points. We didn't do five points. We did three points, yeah. you know. And Alberto was so mild-mannered, like, that he would never want to hit his adversary. Mm-hmm. So people would always have to score on him first before he started fighting. And I would get upset because I'd say, well, <laughs> we only have three points, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, but nevertheless, like, he always, like, rose to the challenge yeah you know and i remember alberto when he was like let's say 12 i don't know 12 13. yeah mm-hmm. uh, and we were fighting um as it happens we were on the other side of the school that at the time had a boxing gym mm-hmm. so we were using the ring and i put him against the ropes and i was just trying to get him to react to me you know yeah and i put him against the rope and i hit him a few times um, and I, I kept hitting him and he was against the ropes. And after a while, he got so frustrated, he jumps up, right? He jumps up and he does a jump spinning kick over my head, like about a foot over my head. Oh my God. Right? Now, <laughs> mind you, like he was shorter than me, jumps up, shoots up a jump spin kick about a foot over my head, yeah. and then he lands. And then I look at him, I said, okay, that's enough. That's <laughs> good. You know? Because wow. like, like I could see that he could do that. Yeah. You know? Um, if he had to do it. Um, and then you had like other people that like 
like Eric DeCanto was so technically skilled. Yeah. Right? Now, when I tell you technically skilled, it's like, I mean, just able to do things that, I mean, most fighters couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, people would spend an entire lifetime trying to attain a technique that Eric could master in like a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then you had other people, man, like Miguel Fidalgo mm-hmm. was such a great fighter, man. Mm-hmm. Such a great fighter. And I, the first day that I walked into the school, when I saw Miguel, just to give you an example, I saw I Miguel came in on a day that my brother was teaching, and I sat down on the side and I was watching class. And I watched Miguel punch. Mm-hmm. And I told my brother, you know, I'll teach this kid for free forever. Really? You know, because he was a kid that was like nine years old and he punched like a grown man. Mm. Like the, he, his, his body control, his body motion, the way he generated force. I mean, he generated power. He punched like a grown man. I mm-hmm. said, you know what? I'll teach this kid for free forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so every class had that yeah you know every class had that uh and then from the youngest ones like uh let's take uh aj for example aj, AJ was a dog yeah man. i mean absolutely fearless i mean the smallest kid in the school i was about to say he was so undersized too listen yeah like when you say fearless it's like he went to tournaments where you had kids that were much older than AJ. Mm-hmm. You could tell. I mean, they were put in the wrong division yeah. because they were so much older than AJ. And he didn't AJ, care, like a fearless man, you know. Um, and to me, I like like not central, but I think that him being so fearless came from Emo being his older brother. Yeah, because yeah. I remember once we were at a tournament and was in New York. I think it was in New York, and Emo and AJ were just sparring on the side. Emo was super flexible. Emo chased him down with an axe kick and just lit it on his head. And then he just fell or whatever. And I'm like, damn, that was harsh. And then in the tournament, AJ's lighting everybody up. I'm just like, wow. So, like, I feel like that's why he was so tough because Emo was tough on him. Well, they were both both fearless. Emo had incredible technique. You know what I'm saying? But, like, every class had that. So, in your class, for example, it's you, Danny, Jose, you know what I mean? And Lee, to, to a certain extent, yeah. Lee was a little bit older. But every class had that. For sure. You know? And every class, the good thing for me is that, like, I, I always told people that, like, like I sparred with the young kids. Yeah. You no, know, like teenagers and all yeah. of that. So I was always in shape because of that. Because, for sure. you know, um, and, I mean, we worked hard anyway, but every class had, like, a set of fighters, mm-hmm. for example, that just i mean um were above and beyond anything that was the norm mm-hmm. right and you could see that a lot of times for example when we take students to other schools to go train yeah like the parents would be sitting on the side they could tell the difference like yeah. they could see the yeah, difference in sure. the fighting you know for sure. I mean? so, now so good. um i just had a question have you ever been to like any other schools after your after your break started like, did you ever just go see, like, other schools and how these other instructors no, teach? No, I mean, I... Or did you just completely stay away from Taekwondo? No, I, well, I, I actually went to uh, my instructor school. 
mm. Master Pina School in Abington one time because he called me in to come in as a guest instructor. Mm. So oh, yeah, I think you remember that day. Yeah, 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 I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I went in, but it was <clears> the kind of thing that I was teaching. And, uh, you know, I, I was still in our mode of training. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like we'll always be like that. And I don't think that the students that were there were in our Used mode. It, yeah. So, um, but I could, like, my hands would get, like, um, sweaty like i'd walk into the school my hands get sweaty because you get that kind of itch that yeah, you want to be inside i love the school that again. man so, i love that so much yeah so you know i mean uh not too long ago i was invited to do something else but mm -hmm. as it happens i couldn't because i was teaching a university class and i mm -hmm. couldn't go but but you know i like i said i don't think that you know my dream i'm gonna tell you mm. my dream is to someday move back to Kiver, mm -hmm. open up a school close to my house, right? yeah. it's my house, and then just teach. Yeah. And just do that. You know what I mean? Um, that would be sick, dude. Yeah, that, that's like sometime in the future. But between now and then, I'm sure that at some point I'm going to have to. For know? sure. For sure. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> this is something I brag about a lot. Okay. You you might you might not agree, but I feel like I beat you into retirement. <laughs> you beat me into retirement. To this day, nobody can tell me any different. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? I was the last person to fight you. Next thing you know, we all got these envelopes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, well, it must have been me. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, so good. yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, if you ever want to revisit that idea, yeah. You. Well, you know what? If you did that, let me tell you this. Okay. How about this? Oh, okay. If you did that, <laughs> if you did that, yeah. Um, every instructor has a dilemma, right? Yeah. Even though they may not talk about it, but yeah. every instructor has one dilemma. Yeah. And that's this: like, what do you do when a student that you're teaching is really good? Mm right um and the student let's say wants to experience something different right every instructor has got that and every student has got the dilemma of how do you deal with this thing with the instructor mm -hmm. right how do you deal with it with the instructor now my position is this um if the student reaches a point where you say okay well um i feel like i'm not learning much like I want to experience something else. Mm -hmm. My position is to say, okay, the door's open. Yeah. Try something else. For sure. Because martial arts is about making you better as a person. Mm -hmm. Right? And maybe if you try something else, that something else may help you to become even more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, the trick is how do you do this thing, you know, while maintaining the friendship, maintaining the respect and all of that, right? So, for yeah. example, Lito at one point wanted to try something else. Yeah. So, okay, Lito, great. Yeah. Try it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, whether it's boxing or it's this or it's that, fine, Lito, try it. I'm yeah. not offended. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Try it. Be, Become better. Become greater. Become better. You know, and more instructors, most instructors that are not selfish, will tell you, I mean, you, your very dream is for the student to become better than you. Mm -hmm. 
That's your very sure. dream. I mean, that's that's what you want. I mean, mm -hmm. you want the student to become better than you. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this this myth in martial arts um, that you know somehow there are certain techniques that are secret that the instructor doesn't teach. You know what I mean? We all will only teach when you get to a certain. You know, like I don't buy into any of that. Yeah, there's no secret, right? Martial arts is about sharing. Mm -hmm. The martial arts don't belong to anybody. Taekwondo doesn't belong to anybody. Taekwondo belongs to the world. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? For and sure. my job is to share it. Mm -hmm. You know, what I know. Now, if you get to a point where you say, okay, well, I want to experiment something else, fine, experiment something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't have to be selfish with the student and say, no, listen. And I see this a lot, especially in my country, like when I go yeah. back and I see schools that have these rivalries that are like, Almost like you think like you're in ancient Japan or something. Like you cannot walk into another school. Yeah. You can't, you know, talk to another instructor. Mm -hmm. When I go back to my country, I teach in everybody's schools. Nice. I teach in Germano school. I teach in Nindo school. I teach in Mebeto school. I teach in like all schools. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I make it a point of doing that because like I think that martial arts belong to the world. Yeah. They don't belong to one person, one instructor. And it's, it doesn't work like that. For sure. You know, it's For about sure. sharing and the more that you can do, the better. For sure. Now, for someone who, who may be listening right now who would like to either get into Taekwondo or maybe even open up a school, mm -hmm. what's something that you could share with them that, that you wish you knew at a younger age? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Um, well, first of all, I would say this. If you're looking to do it as a means of making money, Uh, it can be done, but I would say, like, don't compromise mm -hmm. quality or quantity, right? Don't, because too many people do that, and that brings a lot of problems. The other thing that I'm going to tell you is this. If you really do martial arts seriously, if you really teach seriously, it's almost a trap. Mm -hmm. It's almost a trap. Because once you get into the community, once you start working with the students that you're working with, mm -hmm. um, your level of commitment is such that everything that touches them touches you. Mm -hmm. So if you have a student that um, is going through issues in the family, th those issues are going to affect you because you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that with yeah. the student or with the family. Yeah. Right. Um, so in a way it's a trap, right? And, and you have to be really kind of willing to share of yourself in that, mm -hmm. right? Um, and like I said, it could it could be anything, any student, any issue. Um, like I had, when I was in Wisconsin, <clears throat> I had a student that was my student from here, mm -hmm. call me at five o'clock in the morning there. Okay, the student didn't know there was a time difference. Yeah. Right? It calls me at 5 o'clock in the morning to help him resolve some issue that was going on with his family. Mm. Right? At 5 o'clock in the morning, I had to, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, I said, you know what? Okay, I can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Give me a couple of hours. And in a couple of hours, picked up the phone, called the right person here 
to put something in place to resolve that issue for this family yeah. because the student needed it. Yeah. And I was in Wisconsin. That's crazy. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but, but what I'm saying is if you're going to start out in school, you have to understand that it doesn't stop with kicking and punching. Mm-hmm. Like when the student goes home, you're still connected with that student. Yeah. You're still connected with that family. Yeah. And if something happens, you have a part in that. Valid. You know what I'm saying? Very There's valid. no way of not being connected to that. So Very valid. Okay, so I know you've been doing Taekwondo for like a million years. <laughs> and uh, we probably can't get through every story. But what's probably one of your most favorite memorable moments that either you were a part of or that you witnessed and you were like, damn, that's crazy. Uh, oh, my gosh. There's <laughs> so many stories. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because whenever I get together with students, all we do is, like, we remember some of these yeah. stories. And um, it kind of just goes to show you how this thing is really like a family. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, but there are so many stories that I can tell you, you know, of students, different situations, mm-hmm. uh, different students. Like, I'll, I'll give you like an example of something that I remember to this day. And it was just a funny story, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a student who was really kind of this um, almost like prodigy, right? Yeah. Like, um, and uh, his name was Derek Vieira. Mm-hmm. And Derek actually spent a lot of time with me, mm-hmm. right? A lot of time. He's one of the kids that like I interceded a lot of times with stuff with school and mm-hmm. stuff. But um, when Derek came into the school, Derek was like street, street, right? Mm-hmm. But in the sense that like he grew up uh, on Wyman Street in Brockton. Yeah. And uh, he was used to like hanging out in the street with kids, right? So his demeanor was all like street, yeah. right? So here I am trying to teach this kid. Um, and I remember when he was a green belt, it was the first time he competed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the way I'm trying to kind of mold him to, you know, work with him on discipline and this and that. Yeah. I mean, he was getting all of that, you know what I mean? But the thing is, like, working with him, like, this was a continuous process. Yeah. So I remember I took him to this tournament, uh, Boston Internationals mm-hmm. in Revere. It was the first tournament he competed in. Mm-hmm. And I remember that Derek... Um, was fighting, and he was just a superb fighter. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the thing is, is that, you know, once you get into the ring, you know, the racism that people have mm-hmm. doesn't get cut off inside of the ring. You yeah. Know I mean? So you have judges, and people can clearly see that Derek is scoring on this kid, and but they're nobody's calling, oh, and they give him points on the other side. So... But my thing is, like, how do I keep Derek focused on this thing? So, anyway, so um, the kid that he was fighting through some kind of technique, which came about, like, a foot away from Derek, and they gave the kid a point, Mm. and Derek lost the match. Wow. He took off his headgear, slammed his headgear on the mat, gave the judge the finger, and walked (laughs) out of the (laughs) ring. Right? So I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? What are you doing? <laughs> I walked out of the ring. I grabbed him by the shoulder, brought him back into the ring, 
made him bow to the kid and to the judge and then walked out. Now, I knew his anger, right? Yeah. Because I knew that the kid had beat him. But that's the kind of like, like attitude, yeah. you know what I'm saying? That um, and ways of being yeah. that Derek, and he was the most lovable kid. Yeah. I mean, he was the most, <laughs> the nicest kid, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, these kinds of memories, when we get together, for example, that all we think about is some of this stuff. You know, this stuff that, or stuff that, like when we do international traveling with the team, mm -hmm. right? Um, or, uh, I mean, and there was just so much, mm -hmm. right? I remember Miguel fought with a kid in New Hampshire, at Nashua, mm -hmm. a Tokyo Joe's tournament. And Miguel, like, some of the stuff that Miguel was doing uh, was just like, insane mm -hmm. in the match right and at the end of the match and this had never been done before you know mm -hmm. at the end of the match the his opponent's instructor comes over to me and shakes my hand says that's a hell of a fighter mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah miguel was that caliber yeah. you know what i mean like all of these things um that i remember it was just you know and then i mean other issues, you know, like, yeah. like for example, like uh, like me playing with you guys at your old school, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, but all of these memories, they become part of, like, when we sit down and reminisce about the school and mm -hmm. the people and the kinds of uh, um, personalities. For sure. You know? It's For cool. sure. Now, um, before we wrap it up, I just want to let you know. And let whoever listen. Know, you, you beat me to retirement. <laughs> no, no. I'm just, yes, that too. But um, this is just part one. Okay. So, 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 so the, this is my plan, right? Okay. Part one, we introduce you to talent in the row. You know what I mean? Okay. Part two, it could take its time. It doesn't matter. Summer, fall, it doesn't matter. I come back, right? Mm -hmm. We spar. I beat you, obviously. Obviously. And then. I interview on what you could have done to beat me. <laughs> you know, I I I, I interview uh, on what you could have done to beat me. Yeah, that's that's my plan. You know what I mean? Okay, if okay. you if now whoever loses, either way I'm gonna still do the interview. But I'm just letting yeah. you know my plan. All you right, know what well, everybody's got a plan. Listen, I follow up. You feel me? That's the difference. <laughs> that's the difference between me and everybody else. I follow Mike, up. Mike Tyson's Mike Tyson once said that everybody had a plan. <laughs> Well, that's him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But before we wrap it up, do you have anything else to say? Do you have any questions? Anything of that nature? No, I mean, I just, I, I got to tell you that I'm kind of like um, in awe, right? Mm -hmm. Of um, what you're doing mm -hmm. with this project. Uh, because to me, it's um, a lot about sharing of yourself with the world. Yeah, for sure. And it's no different than martial arts. Like I don't see this as being different than martial arts. Mm -hmm. uh, what your brother's doing in terms of trying to open up a school mm -hmm. uh, and all of you guys really in, in different sectors doing different things. Yeah. But I am, I am really, really proud of you guys for, for doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the idea is about sharing, yeah. you know, sharing what you know, sharing what you care about mm -hmm. and just making, the world a better place man for sure and, and i definitely appreciate what you're doing hey i appreciate you even being here man for sure but um again this is just part one all right well i'll wait for part two 
No, I'm I'm waiting. I my gears in the trunk. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. <laughs> my gears in the trunk. If your listeners want part two, let me know. Listen, listen. All I gotta say, my gear is always in the car. Yeah. Okay. Everything I need, my belt, my gear, it's always in the car chilling. Okay. So, well, like I said, I mean, whenever, whenever you wanna have uh, more conversations or sparring or both, know, whatever the case may be, come on down. You let me know, man. Yeah. But um, that wraps up this episode of Telling the Road, man. Thank y'all for tuning in. Um, this episode will obviously be everywhere: Apple Podcasts, Amazon. Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor as well. But thank you guys for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.